0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, And welcome to the Van Patten podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a second to the people who make this podcast possible. First, head over to the Van Patten store for hats, T-shirts, stickers, all the sweet Van Patten gear a girl or guy could ever want. Now we're almost done with the March shirt of the month. We've only got a few more days. So I will be putting a huge blowout sale on our remaining uh, shirts for March. We of course will have a new shirt of the month up uh, for April and also be giving a few of those away on our Instagram. So please go over uh, and check out our Instagram as well. Also some pretty exciting news. Is we are now selling struck gear on our website as well. So you can head over to vanpattenoutdoors.com, click on the struck tab, and find all of the gear that they have as well as some of their videos. We are also brought to you by Hydro Dip. Since 2007, the Springer brothers, of Scott and Todd, have redefined what quality decoration is. From corporate jet interiors to your favorite hunting rifle. Hydro-dip brings quality back to camouflage. And lastly, but sure as heck not leastly, we are also brought to you by Elkhorn Grills. The tastiest, best sponsor that we have had so far. If you are in the market for a wood pellet grill or to get some food uh, cooked out of that amazing wood pellet grill, head over to ElkhornGrills.com. Now, in today's episode, I sit down with Leon from the EO Boys, and we have a genuine conversation about hunting, predators, um, and kind of what his business is about. If you still haven't, please leave us a review on whatever platform that you're listening to this on. Now, let's get into it.
1: What's up, guys, and welcome to the Van Patten Podcast. As always, my name is Rich, and I'll be your host today. We have a special guest on for episode number five, I believe this is. Um, And uh, so I'll have you introduce yourself, man. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. My name's Leon, and I'm from Eastern Oregon, and I am the founder of EO Boys.
1: We're in... uh you know, to kinda of set the set the scene for you guys. We're in the luxurious podcast studio of my car right now. Uh sitting in a Walmart parking lot in uh cloudy cloudy eastern Oregon. But uh I thank you for joining me man. I appreciate it. So let's kinda of get into this. So you said when did uh, when did when did you start EO Boys? So
2: I had been thinking about it back in like two thousand seventeen ish, but finally kicked it off and uh, February of 18, 2018, I, I kind of launched it. I got some hats made up, created some social media accounts for it, and just kind of went full full head of steam and kind of just t- took off from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've been following you guys since, gosh, I guess the beginning. I thought you did it. I thought you'd been doing it for longer. I guess I started the bandwagon <laughs> right to begin with, man. I like what you guys are producing. Um, so you have. How many videos you got on YouTube, you think, right now?
2: I think we only got about maybe six or something like that.
1: Do you got any plans for 19 of getting, you know, what's your 19 plans? So 19, I
2: didn't draw a spring bear tag, unfortunately. But hopefully we can get maybe something with turkeys and do some fishing uh, videos. And then definitely going to get some elk videos up in there. And hopefully we can get some rifle uh, tags. Whether that's my little brother or friends or somebody getting a mule deer tag or rifle elk tag, but me, I'm hoping to just stick with archery, elk for now. And then if I if I draw deer rifle tag, uh, it's just an added bonus.
1: Yeah, I always kind of let the state decide. You know, I draw, I I I apply for the tags and and just kind of let 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 them let them pick, man. It's getting hard. I I haven't rifle hunted in a few years and and. uh, I'm kind of getting the itch this year, man. I kind of want to maybe apply for an easier to get, but I don't want to burn my points. You know, you know I'm I, in a weird predicament there. That's
2: but. Gonna, I got about, I think, six elk points and like five deer points, and I kind of want to hold out,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but still you know, get a tag as well.
1: <laughs> that's kind of my big gripe with a couple states, Oregon, Washington, you know, any of them that have like a preference point system i'm still on the fence about it for young guys it's kind of hard to get motivated to apply for winaha or something that's going to take 20 years to apply for that's why i started bow hunting man just so i could hunt every single year you know and um i i I hope the point creeping situation kind of gets figured out a little bit more in some of these preference points states but uh we'll see man i mean six years that's six points that's thank god for bow hunting huh (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so what kind of bow setup are you rocking so
2: i've just got like the middle of the package uh hoyt power max i don't i wasn't really to drop i wasn't ready to drop a couple thousand bucks (laughs) on a on a bow setup this thing's done well for me i've shot a deer i've shot my elk with it and i mean it shoots straight so that's all I'm worried about. I I don't need to have something super fancy. I'm sure. I'm I'm not sponsored by no means, so I can't afford everything like some of these guys out here.
1: Now, man, I mean, I shot my first deer with a Parker Windfire XP, with a uh, Whisker Biscuit, probably shooting maybe 215 feet per second with the <laughs> cheapest arrows I could find. I think they came from Walmart, and it worked, man. I mean, as much as I love shooting the new bows. I'm with you. It doesn't take anything special to to get it to get it done, um, and especially in this industry where it seems like you gotta have a new bow every year, every other year to to keep to keep cool. I've had my bow for two years, and I plan on keeping it for the next I don't know until in, until something shows up that I just can't live without.
2: Yeah, I mean the only reason a guy can afford a new bow every year is, well, pretty much if if, <laughs> if the wife lets you drop that kind of money. <laughs> or whatever if you're single I mean go for it but in reality you don't need to get a new bow every year yeah the industry may like they make slight adjustments but overall like I've heard and what I've noticed is they've kept the same setups pretty much the whole time yeah they might be a little quieter maybe a little faster less vibration but overall if you shoot straight you got a good arrow setup I mean you're gonna kill shit so it doesn't matter what kind of bow or how new it is as long as it shoots and you shoot straight you'll be fine
1: no 100 percent. and it's weird because if you look at like rifles man I've had some of my rifles I I have a a bit of a gun problem so I do buy new guns every (laughs) year but I've been happy you know I've been happy with my AR for five years don't want to buy I mean I want to buy new ones because I have a bit of an addiction but I feel no need, you know. It's an interesting uh, dichotomy between rifle hunters and, and archery hunters, to where, uh, or, or users, I should say, not really hunters, but uh, rifle guys can keep their their firearms, their weapons forever and never care about it. You know, I got an Ot six for my granddad that's probably fifty years old. I still love taking that thing out. Yeah, kind of a weird deal, though, but. So you're doing a uh, a coyote tournament. You're sponsoring the coyote tournament, right?
2: Yeah. So the guy, his name is Frankie. He's the one who's hosting it out of Boardman, Oregon. And he reached out and asked if I'd be interested in sponsoring some of it. So I said, hell yeah, man. I'll put my name down. I'll throw in some throw in some T-shirts, a hat, and some stickers or whatever. I mean, I can't throw out, fork out a whole bunch of money for it, but... Up a couple prizes for whoever participates in this tournament. They can kind of get some out of get some out of it, and kind of helps me build my brand's name as well. And
1: sure. Go so is that Saturday, Sunday, 30, so, 30th, thirty first?
2: So it's registrations 29th ninth, uh, Friday thirtieth and thirty first. So
1: how many? I mean, you think it's going to be a big one? I'd imagine there's a lot of predator hunters out that way.
2: Yeah, the the uh, the buddy I'm <coughs> going to go with and help film for him he's him and i were talking today and we think there'll probably be at least at least 10 10 teams and i'm thinking closer to the 20 range 20 team range so i hopefully there's quite a bit of a turnout I'm, i'd like to see a lot of predators go down a lot of coyotes go down this weekend it'd be nice to
1: yeah no. help,
2: help out the the deer and the elk and whatnot
1: that's what i was about to say is mule deer population will love that stuff um what are you going to be shooting this weekend
2: so, the only thing I'm going to be shooting is my Sony A6500. <laughs> uh, the team that I'm going to be helping is, they, they've already got two partners and it's a two-partner team. So, my job, well, it's not really a job, but I, I told them I'd film, I'd take photos for them and kind of just help them spot some coyotes and whatnot. So.
1: Nice. That is a trick, you know, that <laughs> that's a hard task to do. That's those are big shoes to fill, man. Filming uh, predator or dog hunting, man, that can be a challenge sometimes. You know, seeing them in the camera, then understanding that your guy who is a shooter is also seeing it, everything on film, that can be challenging, man. Oh,
2: definitely, definitely is. But this last uh, December, him and I went out. We were trying trying to get a cougar, and we saw some coyotes. Well, one coyote and. I managed to get it all on film, and he shot it, but the only thing is, I forgot to turn my damn mic on, so I didn't get any of the audio, because he shot it, and the sucker started spinning in a a circle, and I said, damn, you put his ass in the spin cycle, and nobody is going to be able to hear that, because I forgot to turn my damn mic on, but it was was awesome, it was a good shot.
1: Man, there's been so many of my videos ruined for that simple reason of (laughs) not turning the dang mic on, that kills me, man, kills me. No, that's awesome. You guys, you were we were talking a little bit before the podcast uh, that you had done some bobcat hunting recently as well, huh?
2: Yeah. So that (coughs) same buddy who shot that coyote, uh, he and I were out for I want to say about three, four weeks. We were trying to get ourselves on a on a cougar. I mean, we cut a couple, uh, quite a bit of tracks. We hiked out on I think about four or five different cougars and just couldn't. We didn't manage to catch up to them and. He's got a buddy who has hounds, and he he bobcats hunt, bobcat hunts with his hounds. And he kind of just put me in the same area with him, and we managed to cut a fresh track that morning and let the dogs loose. And I want to say about 30 minutes later, they had it treed and, well, hiked up in there with my bow and shot that sucker out of the tree, and, well he's now at the taxidermist <laughs> <laughs> and it was I think it was probably thirty, thirty plus 30 plus pound bobcat and no, that's that's a pretty damn good sized bobcat yeah it
1: is how many dogs he do have? that seems like a pretty quick tree
2: so we only used uh two dogs it wow was, he, he used two dogs he has a lot more but he only released two on that that specific um tree and well they those those dogs are incredible I can't believe how well trained they are and how good they are picking out the scent whether that's a day-old track or super fresh track those dogs they have been trained really well and can get the job done fast so that same day we actually ended up getting two bobcats one the one i shot with my bow then we were coming back down the same road we cut another fresh set of tracks we dropped the box let the dogs loose again and that time we had three and within about 30 minutes they had another bobcat treed and they had it in this damn hell hole that we had to hike down into, super steep and deep. And we got to it. Uh, the buddy Darren, who, ha- who owns the dogs, he-, he put that one down. And, well, we came out of that day with two bobcats. It was pretty badass.
1: Well, and I think the important part is, I mean, or a question should be like, what do you think the odds would have been of getting two, two bobcats that day without the dogs?
2: Oh shit! One <laughs> percent?
1: Yeah. Maybe.
2: You know? If, yeah, if you're lucky. I mean, <coughs> with, without the use of the dogs, it's hard, and I mean, really hard to track out a bobcat because they're so sneaky. And I mean, one of the top predators besides like a cougar or a wolf, they're they're up there in, on the food chain when it comes to ultimate predators. They they know how to get the job done sneaky little bastards
1: yeah they are man no and that was kind of one of the questions of the week that we had was um you know do you think that Oregon um because it to kind of unpack a little bit about hound hunt, hound hunting in Oregon at least for uh black bears and cougars in 94 it was outlawed um with measure 18 and it was backed from a bunch of humane societies and it passed just barely in 94 i believe it was like a 52 to 48 percent um and 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 here we are today um now we can still use them for bobcats like you're talking about but cougars bears were not allowed to you know what 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 are your opinions on that what do you what do you think
2: (laughs) that's uh that's one subject that i start getting a little heated on and (laughs) i gladly glad that you brought that up because I am in favor of using hounds to hunt predators, whether that's bears, cougars, bobcats, because it makes the hunt not necessarily easier, but more efficient and like a productive hunt because the dogs are so well trained that they can track out whether that's a lion, a bear, or a bobcat within matters of potentially hours or like a few hours because they they're around it they they get just in the zone and I mean as soon as you drop that box the first thing they do is go to the track they'll put they'll jam their nose right into the snow and then they'll come out just barking just (laughs) I mean it's incredible to see the dogs work and I think With the use of these with hounds, they would be able to manage the population even more because right now, what they're doing for predator control, like cougars and stuff like that, they are hiring a state houndsman to go and manage the cougar population. When in reality, people could be benefiting from this not only themselves but like providing for their family. They can, like, there could be outfitters who are able to do this and it would generate income for not only the the hunting industry but also the the people who own the hounds and just getting getting out there and making it i mean that's one hell of an experience if, if you've never been hound hunting before in your life it's something you need to have on your bucket list because you you won't regret it seeing the seeing the dogs work are it's an incredible experience and for instance like the area we were at we cut i want to say six different cougar tracks because of that, small of an area, I think it was probably like a five-mile square rate, like a square, five square miles, and having that many cougars in one specific area and then knowing that some of the elk winter in that same area, a cougar will kill a deer or an elk every week or so, if if that, they might even kill more, and... That just decimates elk and deer population, all the ungulates they they suffer from this, and knowing that they're that there 's nothing we can do really for the cougars without hiring a houndsman for the state from through the state, paying a bunch of or using the tax dollars from a bunch of people it's just
1: i don 't know I, i'm well, if you look at it man you know we're we're almost paying for it twice oh, yeah. as the taxpayers because. If we allow a program with hounds um, for cougars, specifically in Oregon, that's money that's gonna get generated and go back into ODF&W. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of losing a huge source of revenue just that way. And now we also have to pay for it as taxpayers to have those uh, state houndsmen come out and, and track them down. So, uh, we're losing a lot of revenue uh, we're already you know we're but most of these predator hunters are already gonna be out there yeah um, what's the quandary here you know I uh if you look at states like California which have gone farther than even Oregon has they're in they're in the worst shoes than we are is that really where we want to go uh gosh I hope the answer is no you yeah. know i yeah, I, definitely. I it's almost it's not impossible but it is dang hard to to cut cougar tracks and follow and chase them and actually you know uh, uh get them into your zone um without dogs i mean i've tried it multiple multiple times we've been close but um there's some of these areas specifically in like the northeast oregon spot that is so thick and nasty and deep that Man, without dogs, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible.
2: Yeah, I mean, the people who have been able to get on a cougar and shoot a cougar, sometimes it's just shithouse luck because being able to track one of the best predators on foot is damn near impossible. You have to either catch them on or catch them sleeping somewhere or laying next to a kill that they recently made or just something super fresh tracked. Pretty much those who have they're either really really good at what they're doing or it's just shit house luck because it's incredibly hard i did it for four weeks straight and let me tell you it was it's one of the hardest but most fun hunts i've ever been on in my life we were cutting through snow that was waist deep or not waist deep uh, thigh deep and it's it's incredibly tough on your body i mean hiking miles in the snow cutting fresh tracks it's it's tough but it it's honestly addicting at the same time i was getting my teeth kicked in but i still wanted more i, I was determined to go and find something and just knowing that it it could be around the next tree or something is it, it just gets a hairs on your neck standing up and sure it's definitely addicting
1: well and we kind of have the responsibility as hunters in this day and age uh to do some sort of predator management oh, We've put our feet and thumbs And everything else In this ecosystem And to not manage Some of the top predators For the ungulates that you're mentioning um, Is a terrible injustice To some of the forefathers That have worked so hard for the conservation That we have today You know, so um, It's difficult for, for Guys th- like us that have a WCO but we don't have hounds um that that cuts us nearly in a fourth we only have a few operations that we can now do because we don't have hounds and and that route so i'm with you man um i i hope that sooner rather than later we can get that corrected i don't know if it's up for i don't i haven't heard anything that it's going to be up around the next voting cycle or anything like that but the, gre- the the squeaky wheel gets the grease first, huh?
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I, I'm i hoping that those people that are controlling majority of the voting in Oregon on the west side, they take into consideration that lady that died on Mount Hood this year who got attacked by a cougar. Um, hopefully it'll kind of make them change their mind on the use of, of hounds to hunt these, these uh, cougars because the population of them are almost getting out of control
1: absolutely i mean first time in oregon's history we have uh, a death by cougar attack and then in the same summer there's also one in washington not the state's first but in first in a lot of years yep. so there's obviously an issue yeah yep. and you talk about northeast oregon not only are we worrying about um uh cougars but now we also have I have wolves coming in as well that are taking some of the prey away from the cougars, drawing them closer into town. I think this is going to be kind of a thing we're going to start seeing a lot more of.
2: Oh, yeah, 100%.
1: But, no, it's a huge bucket list. I've never uh, been hound hunting before. Huge, huge on my bucket list. I would love to go over, just like what, I've seen some videos, and just like what you were saying of, of the way that the relationship between the owner and the dogs and how well trained they are that's like something i've never seen you know it's amazing
2: it's it's incredible absolutely incredible i mean those those dogs they i mean they'll work themselves to death for you to get whether that's your cougar or not a cougar your bobcat or if you're in another state where they have cougar uh, hunting with dogs or bears i mean those things they they'll they'll cut their their pads on their feet and they'll just be bleeding real bad, but they don't stop. Those things—they're—they're they're hungry to get something up in a tree. They're, they're, that's their drive. I mean, they'll, like I said, they'll damn near kill themselves in order to get one.
1: No, that's awesome, man. No, that's what a cool experience too. Um, and do you have that on your YouTube? That video? Yeah.
2: So it's it's a shorter video, and it captures the the hunt. Uh, well, it the hunt was—I put it together, like, over a month span, and I kind of pieced a bunch of different things together, but it got—I've got the kill shot of my bobcat and kind of the pursuit of a couple of cougar tracks that we were on, and then finally there at the end, we went and got the, the bobcat that we had treated up with the dogs— but yeah it's it's up on youtube sweet so. no
1: and i'll put um i'll put your uh, youtube channel in the show notes below as well so if you guys want to check out any of those videos um we'll make it kind of easy with a nice little link um <clears throat> yeah no and um the other question uh was uh, pertaining around uh, uh cougar hunting was if a quota system would encourage or help encourage a responsible harvest of mature toms what do you think about that man
2: well i think like if they were to put in place a quota it would help the pop manage the population a lot more but with that quota you're only going to be able to meet that quota if you're able to use hounds and in my personal opinion because they're so hard to hunt it's not like an elk or deer where you can well not necessarily easy to get a deer and elk but it's shit ton easier to get one of those than it is to get a cougar because i i've never seen a cougar in the wild personally in the the five six years that i've been hunting myself and there's other guys who have never seen them and they've been hunting for 10 20 plus years so i mean that it's very hard to come by but if they wanted something along those lines of a to meet a quota they're gonna have to use the state houndsman in order to meet it
1: well it's kind of a compound though what you know a, a great theory is uh, uh maybe in what this guy's talking about is what if we allow the use of hounds but we put a quota system in at the same exact time so we're not we're not hurting the carrying capacity by any means because they're you know there's biologist controlled quotas but now it's i don't like the word easier it's more efficient to get those animals yeah. um in and a timely manner
2: It's it's a little more regulated as well mm-hmm. so I mean, yeah, if if they did something along those lines, that would encourage people to get out a lot sooner to go out and help fulfill that quota and punch a tag. I mean, everybody wants to punch their tag, and if if that quota is met at a certain point and you're not able to get out and punch your tag, then you kind of just gave the state of Oregon free money because you you weren't able to do anything with it.
1: But Right. No, absolutely. I mean... <clears throat> I've done that with a few elk tags, with yeah. a few deer tags. I <laughs> oh mean, yeah! Cool. Um, so
2: every it, one of us, I think, have at one point or another. Yeah, uh,
1: and it wouldn't hurt me to to get a little bit more money back into the conservation. So honestly, man, I think that's an absolutely awesome idea. I would love to see that. Um, so, yeah,
2: I think I think it'd work good for the for the state. But I mean, there's only so many so many voters that we have that want to see something like this, and we need to kind of help encourage those who don't see it the same as us to kind of get them on boat and kind of open their eyes a little more to see how much damage they actually do to the the population sure and how much they need to be managed
1: right okay let's take a little bit of a break it looks like my tripod if you guys have been following me on youtube you know that my buddy larson has kidnapped my dang tripod and it looks like it's actually getting delivered to us right now so we're going to take a small little break and we'll be right back with you well, we are back. Apologize for the wait, but uh, like I said, I had to get my tripod, which is super important for the next two weeks of bear season that we got coming up here. But uh, we we're talking about a little bit of predator stuff, but I think we should transition a little bit. Maybe you could tell me your Axis deer story because we were talking about that a little <laughs> bit before the podcast, and that got me interested.
2: So, funny story: my father-in-law bought us my, myself, my. Brother-in-law and himself a hunt in Hawaii. Well, it was was technically a guided hunt, but it wasn't the price of your typical guided hunt because it was a meat hunt. And because they have so many axis deer on the island, they have to be managed really well. So they allow you to shoot three deer in one day with with this specific outfit.
1: (coughs) Um. And there's so many access deer because there's really no predators, right? There's
2: no predators on the island but humans who hunt them. So they have, I I forgot the number, but I want to say it's up close to 20 or more thousand deer on, on just that one island.
1: Holy Which cow. is the
2: island of Lanai.
1: Okay. That's where uh, Joe Rogan, yep. um, Adam Grinch, all those guys went yep. last year.
2: Exactly. So the the same guys that guided... Uh, Joe Rogan, Adam Greentree and like Cameron Haynes. Mm-hmm. The same guy that guided him, his name is Moss. He's the one who guided me and my brother in law on the hunt as well. The guy is incredible. He's an awesome dude. He he does some taxidermy work there on the island and he does some cool skull art on, on the access heads and horns and
1: it's he's he's a really good artist. They're pretty small deer though, huh? Yeah, if you
2: had to compare them to something in this area, it'd be like a doe mule deer, the size okay. of a doe mule deer.
1: Gotcha. So, did you guys bring all your meat back?
2: Yeah. So what we had done is taken a, one of our Arctic coolers mm-hmm. and, uh, on the plane with us. It was a little extra money, but we we brought it with us. And then after we shot them, so there was four of us. We all we had twelve tags between the four of us, and we brought ten deer home.
1: Holy cow!
2: <laughs> Holy. So on the I I. I shot three, but was only able to bring home two of them. And the reason is, there's this weed that grows on the island that causes the meat to spoil. Because it's so close to, like, the vegetation, the deer don't know the difference, and they eat it. And they get, like, these... It's almost like a... Like, rabies... Or not rabies. Yeah, rabies on the mouth. And just a lot of bumps around the mouth. And the the meat of the deer gets spoiled because of it. So... We weren't able to take that one.
1: How weird! I've never heard of that.
2: Yeah, neither. I had I hadn't heard of it either until that after I had shot it and the guide was like, "Oh man, we can't we can't eat this one because bless you, thank we, you. <laughs> we can't eat it because the meat's spoiled." It's like man, that's a bummer. So
1: so I I wonder if that's just like a, a a plant that just must be in Hawaii then, huh?
2: Yeah, it's just some type of weed. So what the guide had told me is that they like there's resorts there and they brought equipment on ships from I don't remember where it was but they had some type of invasive weed on the tracks of the of the tractors and that's how it ended up getting on the island was because of that
1: gotcha gotcha did you guys do uh so just hunting and then just kind of sitting on the beach relaxing
2: (laughs) so yeah like I was telling you earlier we got up your typical five and five six in the morning and went out and hunted and my brother-in-law, I was hunting with him because I had hunted the day before, but the day I was hunting with my brother-in-law, we went out, and that morning, he shot three deer, and then by 12 o'clock, we had them all processed and everything, and hanging and cooling in the meat locker, and by twelve thirty, one 1 o'clock in the afternoon, we were sitting on the beach drinking beer. It was the one of the best hunts you can. Hands down, one of the best hunts you can go on. Yeah, no kidding. man.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a dream right oh, there. That, that's that's my type of vacation. I'd like to. Uh, if I ever went down that way, I'd like to try to chase some hogs as well.
2: Oh, same. I I, I really want to do that. I had a cousin who did that, and because he was on the military base in Oahu for the I want to say the uh, Air Force. No, 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 not the Air Force. The Navy. he was part part of the he's part of the navy he's a senior chief in the in the navy i believe and he did a lot of that hawk hunting with his bow and he said it was absolutely incredible
1: that looks amazing man that's it's it's one of those things man Uh, you know being from oregon or at least eastern oregon you kind of get used to deer and elk and bears um you move over and like yeah i've heard with access deer just the taste is so so amazing
2: oh my god it's one of the best deer you can have i mean there's mule deer there's whitetail, stuff like that but i i think hands down access deer is the best tasting deer you can have it's so good
1: It mm, makes me that makes me you know i'm getting <laughs> i'm getting married next year and we're talking about some honeymoon stuff try to convince the old lady to uh To maybe go down to Hawaii and do that exact same thing. Oh,
2: well, I mean, you'd get your money's worth (laughs) (laughs) I think, and and if, I don't know if she hunts or not, but (coughs) if you want to take somebody on a hunt to get them involved in hunting, this would, hands down, be the hunt to take them on because you're not necessarily guaranteed a deer, but you're like 85 to 90%. If you're a decent shot, you'll kill one for sure. And that, I mean...
1: Well, we may have some <laughs> troubles there with a decent shot. <laughs> no, but uh I mean like you said there's like twenty thousand deer and ten thousand people on that island or something. Don't they like over outweigh the people?
2: Oh the oh, hands down, yeah. The deer there's way more deer than the island itself. I mean, I don't even think the island has more than t- two, three thousand people on it. I mean, the the little city that's there, it it's really small. So I, I don't know the actual numbers but it's it's a small island compared to the rest, and the population of people there is slim compared to the deer.
0: Sure,
1: sure. No, that's interesting, man. That's definitely you know we've been talking a lot about bucket lists of hounds and Hawaii. <laughs> those are some some bucket listed items I've got.
2: I, I've been very fortunate with some of the people I've been around to only to do a handful of those awesome hunts like that.
1: Boy, yeah, I got that bobcat. I mean, um, so you know when we talk elk. What is what's your elk goals this year? We trying to just put some meat in the freezer. We trying to get some six pointers down. Oh
2: man, I last year was a heartbreaking year for me. The so in 2017 I shot my first bull with my with my bow, and then I learned a lot that season. The, The this last year I had thought I'd learned a lot. I'd been watching a lot of videos, just trying to improve. Improved my hunting overall, wh- whether that was elk calling or shooting better, knowing what to do in certain situations. And well, I called in my first bull this year and in- on film, and my dumbass missed it. <laughs> 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 I sh- I shot and I hit a limb. Like I tried to sneak it in between some uh, brushy area, and I hit a limb, and the arrow went right over his horns. So. Mm my hopes and dreams went out the window <laughs> sure yep <laughs> but i i i called in some bulls so that that was a big plus for me and yeah that's a, hoping, that's a feat in itself oh yeah because i i hadn't ever called before that last year and i'd learned i'd been practicing and finally had the balls to go out and actually do it whether i sounded like a dying chicken or not it was <laughs> it worked pretty good and i called in a couple bulls
1: no, I mean, it's it's always surprised me um how some of the worst bugles I've ever heard in the woods <laughs> are actually elk. You know, I think yeah. I think guys, I think humans are are more anal about bugles than the elk are. I, I think you're right you know? there. I mean, they
2: if if they sound something like an elk, they they'll be interested and they tend to come in and investigate.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, man. Um, You know, one of the questions that we had is from uh, the homeboy, Zach McVeigh, who's been awesome with giving us some questions of the week. So we appreciate your questions, Zach. And uh, it was something along the lines of, you know, kind of must-haves, don't leave home without it for a three- or four-day hunt. And the first thing that I immediately thought of when I saw this question is – is what I'm trying to think of a politically correct term. You know what we call them shit tickets, Zach. And that's the first thing that I always make sure that's in my that's in my backpack, man. Maybe some baby wipes and some teepee. Um, never leave home without it, unless you want some sleeveless shirts. That for <laughs> me is a the first thing I always make sure I have. Yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, if you're it, it depends on if you're going to stay out three four days. Of course, you're going to need some food. I think. The biggest weight that comes in your backpack for a three- or four-day hunt is usually going to be food and water. And so I've kind of changed my water situation. I used to try to bring three days of water in at, like, eight-ish pounds a a, a gallon. It's just not worth it.
2: No, definitely not. I mean, especially if you're hiking up and down hills and stuff like that. You're going to burn. And typically, wherever you're hunting, they're, well... Most people should be hunting where there's some sort of a water source because elk, deer, they all need to drink water themselves. So if you have a a good filtration system, I mean, you can get water from streams or creeks or whatever that are on the mountains or wherever it is you're hunting. Absolutely. And if you had to get down and dirty with it, you could filter water out of a a wallow or something. But, (laughs) I mean, that's that's probably going to be my last resort if need be, but I think three days I can... I can withstand at least a day without water if i had to right i I can hike back out if i needed to
1: no that that kind of makes me think of two elk seasons ago i did that exact thing um we were hiking around basically jumping from creek to creek uh i crossed a creek and just didn't didn't pull out the nalgene water bottle we got up to the very tip top of this peak and i realized shoot i'm out of water Uh, my buddies were like, well, that sucks for you, dude. There's a creek down there somewhere, you know. And so we ended up, uh, well, we, I ended up hiking my ass down there and pulling 30 ounces of water out of an elk wallow. And I'm talking elk turds in this thing, the oh, whole man, works. <laughs> um, so I filtered it out uh, with, like, an MSR sweet water. And then because I was worried about it, I busted out my SteriPen, SteriPened it, took a drink of it. As you can imagine, it tastes like elk piss. So I put a little bit of Mountain Ops in there, and, uh, you know, it got me through for a little bit. But that's definitely last case scenario, or, you know, worst case scenario. <laughs> definitely the worst case scenario. Um, <laughs> as far as filters go, though, you know, I've I've had some good and bad luck with some of the filters. Um, when I got Giardia, it wasn't in the backcountry but it's made me very anal about water filtration. And there are a couple different uh, uh, filtration systems. The one that really comes to my mind is the Platypus one that has the, uh, I don't know, it's an inline filtration system and it basically has like six to 10 small uh, hoses that your water will go through and it will filter out. My problem with that during elk season really in any time in the back country is that if if that were to freeze or one of those little tubes were to uh break by any means that's where all your parasites come through so i don't really like those type of filtration systems uh i did the sweet water for a while you got to clean out your filter quite a bit i've been a huge fan of the SteriPEN. um pen for me it's super lightweight it uses a weird battery which can sometimes be hard to find CR123 battery. Um but if you're as anal as I am now I'm moving like all my headlamps and all my batteries CR123. It this seems like the battery life's maybe it is pretty good. Um as far as stereo pens go um there there is only a few of them that are dependable and that would be the original and the traveler I believe it's what it's called. Don't get the green one. That's what I have. I think it's called Opti. And that thing will shit out on you <laughs> within a couple of weeks. Worthless. Worthless. <laughs> I also... Um, because like i said i 'm pretty anal about my my water filtration i don 't use them all the time, but in my backpack with me on a three or four day hunt um, i 'd always bring a little bit of like iodine tablets or you know some sort of like pill that you can drop in there i don 't plan on using the iodine tablets uh, I get used to the flavor. It's going to make you gassy as so I'll get out. Um, and I don't think you're really supposed to drink that stuff for a week straight. <laughs> I don't think it's good for it. Um, oh, yeah. But for a three or four day, if you didn't have any filters or if you didn't have anything to filter your water out, that's probably the cheapest, lightest, easiest way to go. Um, but I would probably bring some Mountain Ops with you because that iodine doesn't taste awesome. Um, what do you think, man? What do you, what do you bring in three, four days out in the sticks?
2: So definitely mine will have to be some shit paper. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to be the guy in camp that's always got to go behind a log <laughs> for about five minutes or so. And uh, I blame my parents for that. They, <laughs> they they both tend to have stomach issues. And I think just with genetics, that kind of carried on to me as well. So I, uh, I definitely have some shit paper in there for sure. But the other thing I would always have in my pack... It is something along the lines of of a filtration water system set up, whether that's like you can go with the... Uh, I've tried the Sawyer Squeeze. That seemed to work out for me. And I, I've wanted to try the Steripen, just haven't gotten around to it. But some type of filtration system because water... You can go without food for a while, especially me. I got a little extra fat on me <laughs> that I can burn off if i need to but water water is the biggest thing i mean if you're if a well hydrated muscle is going to perform well if you don't have hydrated muscles you're gonna shit out and probably come back before those three four or five days even happen so
1: right well and a lot of the food that guys are bringing for those require water exactly you know so that's exactly. To me, it's that's that's the pinnacle, the top thing that I always worry about. Um, you know, you, you may hear guys talk about sleep systems, those type of things, and, and honestly, that's pretty low on my priority list. I'm young, so a, a good night of sleep helps, but I can still push it. Of course, if you're going to stay out there longer in three or four days, if, it's, if we're starting to talk about a week or more, that's when a sleep system becomes a little bit more pivotal to me because a week in the backcountry, you, you really do need to get some awesome sleep. But honestly, for a couple nights, uh, sleeping, you, know, you don't have to have the, the best system. I wouldn't worry about your sleep systems just yet. No, um, if you're successful, having some good game bags like we talked about last episode, it's definitely helpful. I think one thing that um, some guys can either go way too far with or don't bring any is a first aid kit. And I and I think you can bring a lot of weight that you're yeah. never going to use.
2: I, I've had that issue as well where I've I've got like a first aid kit. And I've only used, I think, one thing out of that whole that, that whole first aid kit, and I've always got it in my pack. But I think I'm going to go and kind of narrow it down to a, a little less variety of the things that I have. Maybe some type of wrap, some, maybe, mm-hmm. if I could, some 800 milligram ibuprofen or a Vicodin or something like that, just in case something bad were to happen. Yep. And maybe a little bit of tape or something Mm -hmm. because i can i can get away with just like a (coughs) some type of wrap and put a lot of pressure on something if a a wound got pretty bad
1: no i mean i'm pretty close to there i always like to have dual purposes for most things that i have in the sticks so um i save a lot of weight with like i always carry like a big lighter with me Mm -hmm. on my big lighter i wrap it with a bunch of athletic tape so that's you're saving a little bit of weight it's nothing crazy but um so athletic tape's a good a good way to just kind of close close most wounds maybe a little bit of gauze padding um if something were to get super crazy out there but that we're talking minimal ounces um i don't really carry too many band-aids because i figure the tape will do um, yeah exactly. uh, um, one thing i always bring though in in mind um is mole moleskin and moleskin is really nice if you have blisters or hot spots in your foot you can tape some moleskin to you um and it will kind of it, it won't rub your raw the way that it, the, the blister would be um and then i go my my thing that i always bring with me that i've never used and i hope i never do um, but it's so light that i just figure why not specifically in rifle season i always make sure i have it is a tourniquet Um, you can make a a a redneck tourniquet with almost anything but the ones they have out today are so much more advanced than what you can do if we're talking about wilderness medical type of stuff Um, and it only weighs like 0.2 of an ounce like I said, I hope I never have to use it, but if some, if one of my hunting partners blows their leg up, it'll be awesome to have. But I try to keep it really, really uh, skinny. Also bring some super glue because uh, super glue super glue and cuts is awesome. Um, and then I t- take a bunch of random pills. So I'm with you there. I'm, I'm kind of like uh, vitamin I or ibuprofen. I'll take some Imodium, um and some Benadryl just so kind of all levels of medication is good to go there other than that I kind of keep it you know that that's pretty much all I have I figure um, if you break your leg or something along those lines with that tape that you have you you can you can make a small brace um you know and and plan on because really the most things you're going to do is you're going to cut yourself a little bit while you're skinning animals you may roll an ankle Um, they're pretty small injuries that really do a little bit of ibuprofen and uh and of course I'll throw it into the first aid kit it's also kind of in my kill kit, and that's a bottle of whiskey because that'll always make it just a oh, little yeah. bit quicker. You know,
2: I've always... <laughs> so, I in my... I've got a, a kill bottle in my pack usually all times, and uh, it's actually running pretty low. Uh, <laughs> the last... So, I've used it the same bottle because it, it was like a an eighth of Pendleton, and I just kind of kept it in there. I, when I went out this fall during elk season we happened to kill a bear and between five of us packing the bear out because it was in a steep deep uh, canyon and we pretty much killed it there but i had some left and when i killed my bobcat we pretty much finished that off and now i need to re-up on my kill bottle because it's hunting season's right around the corner and i mean we're gonna gonna be killing (laughs) shit this year if if all goes well so well and i've
1: we've always kind of used that That shot is like a token to the elk gods or the deer gods or, you know, to thank the Lord, thank whoever's up there (laughs) that we are actually able to harvest it. So I've got one too. I'm actually, uh, we're going to be selling some um, flasks that will be awesome for a kill bottle. Um, those will be on the website here in a couple months. Um, they will be hydro dipped. So if you guys want custom camo patterns or films, stuff like that, um, we can definitely hook you up there, but, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because it gives me an awesome opportunity to talk about the new, um, flasks that we're coming out with. So, Heck, yeah. No, Zach, I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about three, four days, man. I think too too many people pack way too much stuff. Oh, yeah. Go out there sleek and mean. Um, you, You know what? You got two options. Go out there with everything you think you need in that first three days. The stuff that you never touched, leave it at home. Never bring it again. Or... I kind of go the hardcore way and I'm not recommending this, but this is the way that I went. I went went with nothing and realized, okay, I probably need this and I probably need this and I need that. And I wrote it down and I brought it with me. So, you know, um, it seems like the guy who is trying to be the most hardcore, the most lightweight is the guy who is suffering the most.
2: Oh, 100%.
1: (sighs) Who do you want to be, man? You know, you, I've tried to be that hardcore dude out, uh, baby hunting. Um, and that's awesome, and it'll it'll make it happen. But uh it's also awesome to show back up to a wall tent and a cot and a fire. And, you know, so it's all personal preference there. I, my, I think my biggest tip would be worry about your water because nobody's going to have fun when when they're th- as thirsty as they can be. And
2: dehydrated cramping up. <laughs> Walking up the mountain, you can't even get three steps and you're cramping up. Right. Nobody uh, likes that.
1: Nobody likes that. So water, um, don't pack don't pack your kitchen sink. It's only three, four days, man. You can live on pretty much nothing. Um, worry about your meat. If we're, if we're talking about, about elk hunting, start with a thin pack so that when you put that elk, uh, shoulder or, or rear, uh, ham there, you can actually pack it out without having to leapfrog as well. Um, if you're, if you're wanting to be comfortable. Um, th- some things that I do like, uh, last year is we'll go out a week or maybe a little bit more before the season and set out basically base camps where we'll already have all of our stuff out there. So, so during the opening day, we're just walking with our day hunting backpacks and we have everything at camp already set up that is a few miles back. So, um, planning can be huge there as well. Um, I guess one thing that I, I can think of, More that you might need, and this seems a little uh, basic to me, but uh, some sort of tracking system, whether that's a GPS, a compass, a map, Onyx, however you're going to uh, uh, track yourself, make a pin where the pickup is, and and so you can get back there, because that's that's super embarrassing.
2: Yeah, so actually this last year, it was during uh, cougar season, I... I, use, I personally use Onyx mm-hmm. just because I always have my phone on me anyways. And I typically have a good sense of direction and know where the rig is. And, and this one particular time, I didn't mark the rig. And it got, like, we were tracking out a cougar. And it was got it got late, and then it started snowing real bad on us. And I was a dumbass, and I thought I knew where I was going, and I, well, I was going somewhat in the right direction, but it was some, through some thick, nasty, uh, uh old growth and fallen trees, and it was like a pickup stick pile that I had to, <laughs> had to walk through, and it, I mean, a foot of, two feet of snow, trekking through it, it was, it was miserable, so then finally, we busted out the onyx again and found a road that was kind of nearby and we just went the longer route rather than just a beeline straight to the pickup and we we managed to get to the pickup but it was about a half hour <coughs> to an hour longer than what we thought originally we would it would take us to get there but yeah just just make sure don't don't be an idiot don't check your ego at leave the ego at the truck and just be smart about it i mean you don't want to get yourself stranded out in the in the backwoods somewhere and just mark those locations if you need to
1: 100 i know you're you're a logger zach so the woods are in your blood but what i found you know i've sent i feel like my whole life in the woods but there's something about chasing animals i kind of just end up getting so centered so focused on that bull that deer that i'm chasing over the next ridge that I forget to find those handrails or those backstops that I'm I usually am while I'm scouting because you're so focused on that It's pretty easy to lose your 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 spot Um, So seems simple to me especially with onyx like you're talking about There's a tracking feature on there to where you right when you leave the pickup You can track how many miles you walked, how fast you are And then if you get into a situation where you don't exactly know where your pickup is You just follow that blue line right back, you know, so that makes and it makes your hunt a little bit easier as well if you're having it tracking because you're not having to look at your map all the time. You can focus simply on those elk, those deer, that whatever the case may be. So um we've mentioned it in I think every one of these podcast episodes and I think we probably will for every single one. Um, x maps, man, I think is probably one of the greatest technologies that this generation of hunters has the abilities to use.
2: Oh man, I, I use it every time I'm in the backwoods. I I have so many pins on my phone that it's it's unheard of if i'm i've been scouting a new area and i pulled it up on my laptop and i mean i marked wallows i marked uh, drainages i marked pretty much any everything so once i get the time to go out and actually beat feet and see what it's like in the backwoods there in that new area i kind of have an idea on where my pinpoints are and i can go check them out and see if i actually like those or i can cross them off the list or, or put put some notes in there saying oh yeah this is a really good spot fresh wallow something like that so i i really enjoy onyx for the price you pay for it it's it's worth it i think it's
1: it's it's unbeatable man i mean yeah i kind of have that problem with with my mapping right now um it kind of looks like i have chicken pox (laughs) it's just everywhere everywhere. but you know and that kind of works great for preseason. like right now man i'm looking at i'm looking at all my onyx maps i'm finding those wallows because during uh during september i want plan a to plan z because you never know what's going to happen that spot that you've been scouting for the past month you know the elk are going to be there maybe just got blown out by the new camp that showed showed up down the road a day before hunting season because i know that always happens to me so if you only plan for one or two spots you might have a really bad september so even some of the spots my my w or y or z the last effort may just be a northeast facing slope that has dark timber may just be a a a wallow or something tiny but at least gives me some sort of an idea and what i try to do this the my 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 first couple big plans are where there's a an abundance of those spots where there's four or five walls within walking distance um in a day so if that spot gets blown out i can move over just a little bit instead of having to go completely across the unit or completely across the state so it really helps for uh uh, scouting so you can have a bun you can have your map look like chicken pox so in september you kind of have that idea yeah, you yeah know? exactly i agree 100%. and and it works out really well too because if you're in the woods all year round like i'm shed hunting right now um i have found some spots that look like they may hold elk in september i mark it down um and, and we'll find out if they're actually there you know so it works not only on the computer but when your boots on the ground you're fishing um you're shed hunting you're coyote hunting whatever i mean I've been trying my my big goal this year is to mark every every track that I have found. Damn, that's a lot of tracks. That's a lot of. That's you, a lot of points. Man. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I, I pretty much quit about five tracks into it last weekend. <laughs> I realized this might be too much, but you know I always have this problem of like I'll be I'll be doing something I don't know like shed hunting or something throughout the year, and I'll see like the the one that sparks me right now is like I'll see all these turkeys in a certain spot not in turkey season and i'm like oh i need to remember that there's turkey there
2: that always happens i feel like it's the same thing with elk and deer Mm -hmm. i mean you one point you'll see them and you'll be like oh man there's all right i'll mentally mark this make a note of it i've seen elk here deer whatever and then come season they're nowhere to be found in that area i mean it seems like they moved three counties over and they're nowhere to be found anymore it seems like there's a light switch that just turns on for them and they know when the season actually opens and when there's hunters in the area
1: you know a, a bit of a tangent but if you guys follow me on instagram um if you don't please do uh but if you scroll down quite a bit probably a few weeks ago i shared a video from ODFW of uh mule deer doe moving from her summer to her winter range and they got this through gps tracker and it is some of the most interesting data i have ever seen because she went through some of the steepest mountains some of the wow. steepest parts of some of the st- steep mountains and went i don't know 100 miles or more i mean holy crap and of course that's unique that's one deer um but the traveling distance of some of these animals are a lot more than you know i think white tail are are very patternable and so the if you're watching a lot of hunting videos a lot of those are based out of kind of that eastern part of the U.S., yep. and they're sitting in tree stands, and they're patterning, and they're really just looking for wind. Out west, it's a little bit different, man. That Those mule deer, elk, you know, they're a little bit more mobile, a little harder to pattern than than out east, you well, know?
2: Yeah, I agree 100%, but if, if you think and look at two the area in Wyoming where all the elk come in I mean there's elk coming from three different states to that one specific area I mean elk deer they'll travel miles especially during the rut I know of an elk personally that traveled over 10 miles I got it on camera during uh, during season and once like the early part of September and I mean August or mid August and later in September during the rut it had traveled well over 10 15 miles, and got shot on private property because of the rut. I mean, those they lose their mind when the rut kicks in. Deer, elk. I mean, whitetail. Every, everything, yeah. everything. They just lose their mind. It's it's like a it's like a young boy in high school trying to chase a tail. He'll do whatever. <laughs> he'll do whatever to get it.
1: <laughs> well, and and that's you know that I think that's what turns so many people on to hunting in September oh, is the potential. Man. Uh, to see that stuff I mean it really did change my life When the, the first time uh, We called a bull in um, And and to kind of unpack that story I'll tell you how much we didn't know If you know anything about calling setup, I was in front of the shooter Right We were 14 years old <laughs> Let's go kill a bull um, So I set up in front of the shooter Which never do Because you want that elk to get You know you want to pull that elk past your shooter. Um, but we had no idea what we were doing. We just wanted to kill big bulls. Anyhow, so I get, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 yards away. Or it gets 30, 30-ish 30 yards away from me. Starts raking a tree. It starts pissing on itself. From there, man, I've been hooked. hooked. Oh, Love yeah. it. Uh, and, you, you know, you can you can see some pretty awesome things during rifle season. But there's just something about the rut and them just getting crazy.
2: (laughs) September, man. It's amazing. You can't beat it. No. It's by far some of the greatest hunting you can
1: experience. It's been hard for me, man, because, like, you know, uh, September's also great steelhead month. Eh, I'd rather hunt elk, to be honest. (laughs) I do, too. But, gosh, I love chasing steelhead, you know. But I, I have yet to ever miss a day in the elk woods for steelheading. I apologize to all the fishing freaks out there but uh i'm with you dude i just can't miss a day in the woods to go chasing oh yeah i want to you know right now it sounds good but i know in september (laughs) yeah there's no way there's no way (laughs) there's no there's no way man now um i think those are most of the questions of the week that we had we had a couple that we didn't really touch on um, but, again, we really appreciate the support from everybody. Um, to kind of unload the, the questions of the week, what we've done is uh, when I've interviewed anybody, we kind of want to get your guys' input. Um, like I said, this is our community. So if there's anything that you guys want us to talk about, um, that's why we've asked you guys to DM, DM us and, uh, and, and let us know. So uh, for the next week's podcast, I'll be sitting down with uh, Cody Singer from Conquer Life. So, of course, you guys already know what that looks like. If you have any questions for him or me or anything that we want to talk about in the next week's podcast, um, just shoot us over some DMs, and we will supply you guys with some free stickers. Everybody loves free stuff, man. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves free (laughs) stuff. Um, And also, to kind of wrap up some of the housekeeping stuff... Um, We are still selling the March shirt of the month. We've only got a few days left to go on that. I will let you know a little bit of a secret. I did too much planning and printed too many shirts. So uh, the first week of April, those bad boys are going to go on sale. I'm selling them for 50% off plus free shipping. So if you want to get the last of the, uh, it just takes one shirt of the month for March... Um, Head over to VanPattenOutdoors.com. We are also selling some of the Ruttstruck gear. Not some, but all of the Ruttstruck gear. Um, They are diversifying their portfolio as we speak. So really all equals four. So we're selling a couple hats, a couple t-shirts for them. But uh, if you guys want to support some Ruttstruck merch, head over to our website as well. Um, We've got some pretty big things planned for 2019 so keep a, uh, keep an eye out on Van Patten Outdoors. Uh, we're we're planning on getting more partnerships, um, and so a bunch more merchandise will be coming out for all of the hunting and fishing folk in the world, man. Um, I know you've got to you got to do some registration stuff for this this coyote tournament um, we talked about earlier. So let people know where they can find you, man.
2: So social media, everything is just EO boys, EO. B Y O? Um, uh, I, think, I, think, I, I well, think, let's start that over again. E O B O Y Z. There it is.
1: There it is. <laughs> what we're trying to say is basically it is E O boys with a Z. Yep. Um, and that's on Instagram. That's okay. on YouTube. Yep. Instagram, YouTube. Awesome and uh if he's also selling some shirts as well so head over to his instagram if you want to get hooked up with any of that stuff as well um you'll be you'll see me in the next uh vlog that should be up here i'm hoping in about a week be rocking some of his merch loving the shirts so um again we appreciate it i appreciate the time today man
2: thanks for having me i appreciate it
1: heck yeah um and so again thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening Um, tight lines and happy trails.